From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Is it time to abolish the ATF? A journalist who has been reporting on the ATF and exposing their flagrant abuse of power says yes. Like previous administrations, the Biden White House is weaponizing the agency in order to sidestep Congress and make up their own firearm laws. They've gone after bump stocks, suppressors, unfinished receivers, stabilizing braces, and so-called ghost guns. And their latest abuse, latching onto clerical mistakes and simple human error as an excuse to revoke federal firearm licenses and close hundreds of otherwise legitimate gun dealers. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Lee Williams, Chief Editor of the SAF's Investigative Journalism Project. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. It is a real pleasure to, to be here. I, uh, hello to all the Buckeye members. So I understand you have some family in Ohio, Lee. Uh, not family yet. Girlfriend's family. But yeah, everybody's around the Columbus area. Oh, I think we might, might have just gotten a scoop. So uh, future family, maybe. In Ohio. Yes, probably. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get you in trouble. You are. So, uh, Lee, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. I've been reading your journalism since you started with the uh, Second Amendment Foundation's Investigative Journalism Project, which we're going to get to in a minute. I just wanted you to describe a little bit about your background because you're a, a newspaper guy and you check a lot of other boxes. So why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and where you come from? Sure. Originally Minnesota, uh, went into the army. They taught me how to speak Russian and they taught me how to be an interrogator, which is kind of fun. Uh, I was a policeman for 10 years in the Kansas City area, had uh, a lot of fun in 10 years. Gangs, drugs, patrol, obviously. Got into journalism, got the journalism bug, uh, worked at five papers in four states in the U.S. territory. Loved it. Always was an investigative reporter with the title. Uh, ended up at Sarasota working for the Herald Tribune. And the Herald Tribune at that time was a weird newspaper because we had a really good editor who encouraged all of the reporters to, to work on passion topics, what he called passion topics. So I went to him about uh, 10 years ago and said, I want to write a blog about guns. And he greenlit it. And uh, that turned into the gun writer. And uh, I was the only full-time card-carrying journalist in the country with a, a, a pro-gun blog that was totally supported by my newspaper, which was incredible uh, and, and really ballsy on his part. Of course, the newspapers, you know, they're getting bought up. Our, our paper got bought up by Gannett, uh, which is now the largest newspaper chain in the country. I think you're probably familiar with them. Uh, they bring a new definition to the term woke. And uh, when they found out a couple years ago that one of their editors I'd gone from investigations into editing. When they found out that one of their editors uh, wrote good stuff about guns, that was that. 
and uh, was fired by the head of Gadet, uh, Maribel Pere- Wadsworth Perez. She's also president of USA Today, personally, which was kind of interesting. Started a Substack account, thegunwriter.substack.com. And uh, about a week after uh, I was let go, I get a call from a good friend, uh, Mark Walters of Armed American Radio. I I still do a lot of appearances on his show. And he said, uh, Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation is going to give you a call. Take the call. <laughs> so I did. And uh, Mr. Gottlieb always had in mind, he was happy that I was a free agent, always had in mind uh, something to counter the legacy media's constant anti-gun spin. So he hired me as the uh, chief editor of the investigative journalism project, which is part of the Second Amendment Foundation. I work for the Second Amendment Foundation right now. And uh, I got to tell you, I work for the smartest guy in guns. Uh, He is brilliant. Second Amendment Foundation is incredible. It's flexible. It's nimble. There's active litigation going in 35 states last time I checked. And in some of the states, there's obviously more than one case. Uh, They really get a lot of bang for your buck out of Second Amendment Foundation. My job is to uh, basically tear it up and find violations of the Second Amendment, as well as stuff that'll be of interest to gun, um, gun owners and our gun rights community. When I write it, it goes out on saf.org. And then we have content sharing agreements with uh, a lot of the pro-gun websites, MLN, Truth About Guns, GunFeed. Uh, all you need to do to run our content, it's free for any pro-gun site, is just run the disclaimer at the end with the Second Amendment tag on it. In addition to that, I'm on the board of Florida Carry, which is uh, similar somewhat to Buckeye. It's a state statewide pro-gun organization. Uh, we have an email list, I think around 40,000. We're unlike you, we are still trying to get constitutional carry to pass in the gunshine state. Congratulations to all of you on your success. Uh, it, I realize what that takes to get that through a tremendous amount of hard work. So kudos to all of you for getting that through. We're still struggling right now. It will be up to Governor Ron DeSantis whether or not we can get that through this month in our last special legislative session. But other than that, I have a private website, armedamericannews.com or .org, where you can see all my stuff or Substack or who knows, go to Amoland. They just moved a couple stories today. So uh, it is an incredibly fun job and no one, I don't have to worry about any weird uh, legacy media uh, editor looking over my shoulder anymore. How do they justify firing you? Because these days, so many journalists do have outside political interests and they're not shy about sharing that. But in your case, how how do they justify your firing? Uh, They couched it in other terms. Um, But I knew I was done the minute Gannett bought it because I'd worked for Gannett before at two other papers and I knew their corporate culture. Um, It's just a matter of time. Yeah, our main newspaper here, uh, the Dispatch, is a, a Gannett uh, newspaper. So uh, you know, it's um, it's sort of a lot the of pro gun stories. Uh, oh yeah, uh, a lot of pro gun stories. No, I mean their editorial board is pretty much anti gun all the time. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, and we we always get the feeling that comes down from on high. Uh, a lot of local journalists, like in TV, they tend to be pretty fair. But the news, right. newspaper is always against us. Well, I, I, the largest newsroom I worked in was in Wilmington, uh, Delaware. 
Joe, Joe Biden's home state. And there were probably at the time about a hundred people in there. And out of those hundred people, I was one of two people that owned guns. And the other guy that owned a gun uh, kept it really on the down low. It's just a weird lefty corporate culture. Yeah. Well, that's where we are now. I mean, what, you know, that's sort of an interesting topic just unto itself and, you know, how the media has changed. I come from the media, but I'm from the radio and TV side of it um, back in the 80s. And so, you know, this was back when you had basically three networks and PBS right. and maybe some, you know, radio stations. And that was about it. You know, in, in your view, what what's the big change in media today? Unfortunately, you got a lot of kids. It used to be a working man's trade, you know, a blue collar trade where you're you were you went in, you wanted to do good for your community. But now you've got a lot of young people coming in, which is great. But unfortunately, a lot of them have no life experience. I mean, I walked in with three medals of valor from when I was a policeman uh, and a, f- a foreign language and, and some weird military skills. But most kids are coming straight out of college and they have no life experience. Yeah. And, and, and that seems to be a big problem. I, I prefer, I don't care what they do, uh, but they're, and they're in this bubble, a very liberal bubble. And they don't watch Fox. They don't watch anything but MSNBC or MSLSD or CNN. So they get wrapped in that bubble. And unfortunately, they, they never see the other side. Uh, I mean, I was treated like a leper because I would go to the range on the weekend. People just couldn't get that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that seems to run counter to what a journalist is supposed to do, because you're, you, you should know a little bit about everything. Uh, right. otherwise, otherwise, how do you report? Well, it, uh, it worked for me a couple of times. Um, I interviewed uh, a newly appointed NRA president, and at first he wouldn't talk to me, and I got one of his handlers, and the, and the handler said, well, why should he talk to you, your mainstream media? I said, well, I'll be the only reporter he'll ever talk to that can explain the difference and articulate the differences between gas piston and gas impingement. Next thing I know, the, the president, who shall not be named, is coming out of his office, and we're great friends today. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, it, you know, for for me, the fact that you're an old journalist guy, sort of, you know, from the from the gumshoe tradition, you know, hitting the streets, getting the yep. story, uh, that that counts for a lot. And I think I that that's, that 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 really is uh, what makes your reporting special, because a lot of what's written is just press releases. A lot of people don't know that newspapers get press releases, and very often they just print them whole cloth or they just rewrite them slightly and they're not doing any original research at all. No, no. Um, I've never thankfully had to rewrite any press releases now or, or when I was a traditional journalist, it's all about what you can dig up on your own. Okay. That's what it's all about. So, uh, Lee, let's talk about this story that you wrote. It caught my eye. And it had the headline, ATF Federal Firearms License Revocations Up a Staggering 500%. So you did some research into this. Why don't you explain exactly what's going on here and kind of walk us through your investigation? Okay. Before Joe Biden uh, occupied the White House, ATF was revoking about 40 federal firearm licenses or FFLs per year. And that number stayed kind of constant for a long time. But in 11 months, the first 11 months that Joe Biden got in the White House, 
that number jumped up to 273. That's a more than 500% increase in the amount of FFLs that they're, they're uh, revoking. And a couple things your listeners or your members need to know, uh, and I know the dealers know it, but once you lose your FFL, I mean, there's damn near no way to get that back. It's pretty much gone for good. Now, this all goes back to last June when Biden had that Rose Garden speech where he said he's going to declare war on the rogue gun dealers. Everybody remember that? Well, that, you know, I have a lot of good friends who are gun dealers and that we're all scratching our heads going, what what the hell? There's, you know, none of us know anybody who is going to sell or transfer firearms to prohibited people or not cooperate with a tracing request from ATF or any of that. So what I did as uh, uh, on behalf of the Second Amendment Foundation is I immediately filed a FOIA with the ATF seeking three years worth of of arrest information or revocation information on FFLs nationwide. So we could show all these, if there's all these rogue gun dealers out there, I'm sure that they, you know, the ATF has done the right thing and gone after them. Well, they're still, they haven't done anything with that. They, we have no official response to that FOIA request. And, you know, FOIAs are federal law and ATF is a federal law enforcement agency. So as, the, as we speak, they are, ATF is breaking federal law. Now, the only reason they're not complying is because they know it'll shoot down Biden's claims that there's all these rogue gun dealers out there because they've never been revoked. So they had to start ginning up the numbers. And the real heroes in this story are are the two Johns, JB and JC, who work for uh, FFL Consultants. Now, that's a private company, but they're free. They're, they, will, they will work free for any NSSF member. Uh, they work with gun dealers to help stop problems that are going on, help prepare them for inspections, or God forbid, help them try and retain their license if they have a revocation hearing. And these these guys are good. So they told me about the jump, the huge increase, and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's a 500% increase. So we did the math. Of course, we want to talk to ATF. ATF won't talk. Uh, and then it's just a matter of filling in all the dots and trying to get everything. But the the reason and the way they're doing this is there there's not an increase in rogue gun dealers. There's an increase in uh, let's just call them chicken crap violations. Instead of doing revocations for real reasons, like I mentioned earlier, like transferring a firearm to a prohibited person, they are revoking right now for the most minor of reasons. For example, you know, the, the transaction code for Nick's background check is nine digits. If a dealer only gets in eight or makes another minor paperwork violation, they're calling that a willful violation and they're revoking them for that. They're revoking for clerical errors. And that's how they're getting all these guys. And and I'm sorry, but, you know, that's unconscionable. I've, I've never had a story that had pissed me off so bad as this one has, because I know what it takes to be a gun dealer. I got a lot of good friends. It's not, you're going to get in it and get by, you know, very few of them are getting rich and uh, they're, they're robbing these, these good men and women of their livelihood because they want to gin up the numbers and make it look like, oh my God, there's, we're, we're, we're revoking all these horrible rogue guys. Well, they're not. I mean, none of these guys have done anything wrong, really. None of these guys have violated the spirit of the law. Maybe some of them had a clerical error that may at some point violate the letter of the law, but they had to change the definition just to get these guys revoked. Willful now means you know the law and you willfully violated it. And they're calling a clerical error a willful violation of the law. And I got to tell you, I I mean, that 
I'm still, I'm, my anger has not yet subsided on this story. Uh, it's, it's just got me so angry. Yeah. I mean, we all agree that if there is a bad dealer out there, who's not doing background checks who's selling guns out the back door, ignoring requests from ATF to help trace a firearm or transferring their prohibited people, they need to go. But these 273 people, and it's probably up to 300 by now easily. You know, these are victims of a political, politically weaponized ATF. They have not done anything wrong. Maybe they, maybe they themselves were a little sloppy on some of their clerical stuff. Or here's the sad part. Maybe it was one of their employees, Dean. You know, some of these gun shops, you get a guy on the counter. He's got seven guys, you know, wanting his attention. He's trying to fill something out. Easy to see how a clerical error can happen. Should the owner pay for that by losing his FFL? I'll let your members decide that. I don't think so. Do you have any data on exactly who it is that's uh, getting the revocations? Is this mostly like, you know, because there are there are brick and mortar gun shops, but then there are also right. just individual right. dealers. When, and I know that previous administrations have really hated the fact that you've got small dealers out there. Is it the These small guys? These are kitchen or? table guys. These are guys of all sizes, brick and mortar, kitchen table Guys, uh, one of the guys that uh, I was told about had a pretty much a resort, you know, indoor, outdoor ranges, mm. big retail area, all types. It's not like they're focusing on the kitchen table, the folks without a brick and mortar. It's across the board. It's the whole spectrum of gun dealers. That's what's really pissing me off. And, and is there any targeting? I'm just trying to trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Is there any targeting at all that that maybe there's some sketchy dealers that they're going after, or, or do you think this is just completely random? It's completely random. I have interviewed folks who shall not be named. It doesn't matter who you are as a gun dealer. It doesn't matter where you're located. Like they're not targeting dealers around some of these major cities that Biden said the rogue gun dealers are, are responsible for the rising crime in like Chicago and LA and Detroit and, and Philly. They're all over the country. If a violation is seen, they're going ahead with a license revocation. When in the past, these clerical errors hardly merited mention. I mean, maybe you get a call from the inspector said, hey, be a little more careful. You left out a number. We got to fix this. No, you make an error, you're done. Well, you know the kind of workload that a gun dealer is under just on a good day. The amount of scrutiny they're subject to, the amount of paperwork and, and online stuff that they have to do just to keep the doors open. Now, it's just a matter of time before any one of them commits an error. And this is all leading to this. At some point, Joe Biden is going to have another press conference in the Rose Garden with Kamala at his side. And he's going to hold up the 300 or 400 or 500 dealer revocations and say, look, we got the rogue gun dealers. And we're going to keep going after them. And, and the, the key point to this is none of these guys that are losing their livelihoods have contributed in any way to rising violent crime rates okay none of them and this really is weaponizing the atf i mean it's basically yeah. if they're just going after errors uh that i mean that that would make anybody angry i've met some of the local atf guys and they did you know i don't do you think it's coming from that from from the local no. guys no. because they seem pretty helpful you know that they seem like that they're not really anti-gun because I went to a meeting once where they were talking about how they did what they did, and they they went on at length about how they work with gun dealers right. trying to help them do what they do. Well, from what the guys at FFL Consultants were told, 
ATF is not happy with this policy. They don't like it, this whole zero tolerance policy that Biden created. Unfortunately, they're still doing it, okay? They're still enforcing it. They're clicking their heels together and they're going out and they're enforcing it. Now, none of this is coming from ATF itself. It's all coming from uh, DOJ and Biden. But like I said, who's carrying out the illegal orders, okay? That is ATF. Biden has weaponized them to go after his Second Amendment opponents. And I, I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, this sounds very similar to what happened uh, years ago when uh, the financial industry was being weaponized to go after businesses and not extending credit. Uh, you know, if you were a gun dealer, you would have a hard time getting credit card processors, getting loans, and so on. And it was basically squeezing certain kind of disfavored businesses out of business just because the current administration at that time, uh, which was the, Ob the Obama administration, they just didn't like certain kinds of businesses. So this, this uh, is just, this just another, another example. Very similar, eerily similar. Um, uh, it's, is it worthy of a lawsuit? Is it worthy of a class action? I hope somebody does. I really do. It's selective prosecution, and that's unconstitutional. I mean, everybody has a right to be treated fairly under the law, and they're clearly, clearly targeting these guys and gals. This is not, I won't say this is shocking, because we've no. seen what's what's been going on, you know, with the David Chipman nomination, for example, a clear gun control guy. He got basically shot down as the head of the ATF, but the Biden administration has doubled down, uh, nominating Stephen Dunnelback, which is... Uh, just another gun control guy here from here in Ohio, and we talked about that on a previous podcast. So, again, you know, they're trying to do with the ATF what you see in a lot of third world countries where you have a dictator, a strong man, and he wants to put his friends in charge of various agencies so that that strong man can have control over government. And that that's shocking that that would happen here, but it's not unexpected given what we've seen at the ATF. No. And I have in the past, and I continue to call for that, the entire organization needs to be abolished. ATF needs to be disbanded. Okay. I can live without somebody out there regulating taxes on cigarettes. And if there's two country gentlemen that want to make up some corn squeezins, I don't care whether that's taxed or not. Uh, ATF is showing a history, uh, and this is the most important thing for me, of not having any regard for the sanctity of human life. Okay, started at Ruby Ridge. God knows, we all know what happened at Waco. Look at Fast and Furious. People are still dying from the weapons they allowed to, to cross into Mexico. How many Mexicans were killed by those firearms? We, we don't have any idea. We do know one of our, uh, Brian Terry, one of our Border Patrol agents died because of those. They, they're constantly searching for a good headline. They're constantly searching for a little bit of splash in the media. They don't care whether people die when they try to get it and they, they have always been so willing to bend over for who, whatever politician is in charge. And we just can't tolerate this anymore, man. I mean, this is a, they're a walking, talking civil rights violation. They are violating constitutional rights on a daily basis. They need to go quite frankly. How would uh, you go about doing that? Let's say we got a favorable administration in there who recognized the problems with the ATF. How would they go about modifying or eliminating an agency like that? Well, it you know look at look at uh, Department of Homeland Security, that was created pretty much overnight, 
and creating an agency that is now the larger than any other law enforcement agency out there. If we can do that, I don't think it'd be too difficult to get rid of one. Now, I will say this, they're arson guys, keep them. Okay, let's attach them to the FBI. Their ATF arson investigators are incredible. But uh, the rest of them, no, uh, we don't need them. We don't need that group as an organiza- that organization anymore. You know, it seems like uh, one of the big philosophical problems with the ATF is that the way that they're being used, not only are they enforcing the law, but they're trying to make the law at the same time. We've seen what they've been trying to do with bump stocks, um, recently suppressors and suppressor parts, the whole deal with unfinished receivers, you know, the 80% receivers, uh, stabilizing braces. I, I can't keep track on where we you know, on, on all of this, uh, ghost guns, you know, they're, they're trying to make the law as they go and then enforce the law that they make up. Yeah. Well, I've written extensively about homemade firearms. I mean, Americans have been making firearms in their homes since before there was a United States of America. It's perfectly legal. It should remain perfectly legal. I've talked to law enforcement agencies from Florida to Washington state senior top cops. Hell, I had a good friend here in Florida, a sheriff who assigned two of his lieutenants to go through the entire property room. Okay. He's got a thousand deputies. They did not find one homemade firearm in there that was unserialized. Now they had a couple firearms that were unserialized, but they were all factory made. And then some criminal had criminally tried to deface or remove the serial number. This whole ghost gun fallacy is just a bunch of crap. Okay, we need to we need to be stronger on that. We being the, the Second Amendment, the gun rights community. Um, I, I probably I'm not going to make a gun in my home. I have made one. Uh, it was one of those. I don't know if you remember the CVA uh, percussion kits that were around. I don't know, 30, 20, 30 years ago. I made a single shot muzzle loader, shot it twice. And I think I sold it at a gun show for about 30 bucks, hated it. But yeah, it's perfectly legal to make guns at home. It should remain that. We're allowing the media and and the the Biden-Harris administration to to set too many terms, to set too many definitions out there. Ghost gun, that's bull, man. It's a homemade firearm. If I want to make one in my home, it's my God-given right. Leave it alone. And besides, we all know, I mean, having had a badge in my billfold for a while, these gangsters aren't going to sit around in their little little gangster lair and say, okay, um, let's get some 80% lower kits and you do the drilling, you over there, you do the assembly, and then we'll go out to the range and test them. These guys are getting their weapons the old-fashioned way. They're stealing them. They're buying from from other criminals. They're taking them in burglaries. They're not they're not assembling them themselves. I wish they would. Okay, I wish they I wish they wouldn't use a kit and, and make totally homemade firearms. It'd be easy to find out who the criminals were because they'd be walking around with maybe eight fingers and one eye. But you know, <laughs> it, it's it, it's just sad that they're taking something that may, I know there's a hell of a lot of guys out there right now who are thoroughly enjoying printing guns and making guns, and uh, to have that, to, to mess around with that, that is a clear infringement of their Second Amendment rights, and, and that needs to be litigated. Or we just need to get rid of this damn administration that doesn't give a damn about our Second Amendment rights. Well, Lee, I really appreciate your reporting on this. I think you're right. Uh, we need to start paying attention to all of these things, and we need more solid journalism the way that you're doing. Why don't you... Uh, why don't you tell our listeners how they can find out more information about this topic or your other reporting? Sure. Uh, you can always find me at saf.org, SAF for Second Amendment Foundation. You can go to armedamericannews.com or .org. 
Everything I do is there. Or you can go to uh, thegunwriter.substack.com. Anyone, or you know, the other the uh, the rest of the pro gun websites usually carry my stuff too, and and we appreciate that. That's a huge service for us. But uh, yeah, it's it's out there somewhere. Do hell, do a Google search, gunwriter. Lee, thanks again. I hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Anytime, Dean. Take care. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.